All right, welcome to Scott Moffat's 21 Podcast. It's a show all about the news and issues faced by the big Ward 21 in the city of Ottawa. And that takes in Manitick, Richmond, North Gore, Munster, Cars, Fallowfield, Ashton, Burritts Rapids, as well as parts of Wilburn Township. Why does a counselor require a podcast? Well, it's all about better communication process and connecting with residents, and it's a platform where Scott, as the counselor of said ward, can expand on the various subjects and give you a lot more than you'll get from the headlines or the eight-second soundbite. Let's say hello to the good counselor. How are things, Scott? Fantastic. Great, great intro there, and I... Yeah, why do we need a podcast? I guess we don't need a podcast, <laughs> but it's been fun and it's been nice to be able to, uh, you know, I I think it's something I thought of for a while before we finally started it last year, but the feedback on it and the the amount of people we've reached with it has been, you know, quite positive. And, you know, I think it's, like we represent, you know, like 30,000 people, but when I hold a public meeting, you know, if I get between 20 and 60 people, you know, it's a success. So when we, when we go out to the public, we're always going out to relatively small groups. Um, this has reached far more than that. And, you know, getting you know, 300, 400 listens for an episode. Um, it's just, it's, it's a different, it's a different way to reach people. And I think it's been quite, uh, quite positive to that, to that end. And not just for convenience and, and a way to reach people. It's a, it's a, it's different and in a lot of ways better because, the city is forever putting out media releases. Um, I've got stuff on the team21.ca website. And it's, you know, it's a page of information. And, and, and that's good. And when we get the greatest hits in there. But what we don't get into is follow-up questions and the frequently asked questions. And that's the whys of things, I guess. And that's the kind of stuff you're able to tackle here. The, the motivation behind things, the reasons for things. And I think all that's very effective. Well, it certainly allows us to get more into depth on topics and provide some context too. Like even when, you know, I write a column, the the column I write in the community voice is about 300 words on average, but the one I'll write in the messenger is, could be anywhere from 800 to a thousand words. But even there, you, you, you don't really get into uh into deep context of what the situation is. And it's, it's also a lot easier sometimes to explain uh, situations just verbally and having that conversation. I've always been more effective talking to people you know, face-to-face on an issue than writing them an email. It's just, it's a lot easier to explain an issue than have that that exchange, right? And I think in the podcast sense, you know, I think there's a, to a degree, you're the resident, you know, you're the constituent and and it's you and me talking. And often when I'm explaining things, you'll ask me those questions, those sort of explanatory questions that maybe I, I miss and then you help sort of pull that out of me. And I think that's what's that's what's good about this this format and this exchange that we have. Yeah, I'm the layman. I got questions. There's no doubt about that. And uh, do you feel like it seems to me like and, and we're going to get into our subject matter. We're going to get into the 2021 draft budget today. It feels 22. to me like 22. Sorry, my bad. We're looking ahead. I'm still in 2021 mode. The 2022. Well, <laughs> I know. I know. I know. But in terms of the budget, I'm still in that. Anyway, so the uh, it's, it's an understandable mistake. So um, but municipal politics, it seems to me, is maybe and maybe this isn't the term I should use, maybe not the sexiest. Am I right in thinking that even though we do a podcast and we put all the stuff out on the website, onto social media, we're on Instagram, Facebook, Twitter, um, you're, you're constantly you know, calling people and we do our best with the communication process. And I think we do all we can, even some mail outs from time to time on the really big stuff. 
but it just seems like no matter how much communication process you put out there, you're only still getting through to a, honestly, a, a small percentage of, of your residents. Would that be accurate? Yeah, there's no question that what we do is not sexy. Now it's hard to say, is any level of government truly sexy? But <laughs> some of the biggest some of the biggest projects that we'll do in this ward uh, next year, like the two biggest ones, are upgrading a sewage a pumping system and preparing for stage five of our landfill. Right. Will they make that into a movie? <laughs> could be a could be a exciting documentary of yes. the evolution of the Richmond pumping station. Oh, I'd love that. But still, very important to be in to be communicative as possible and to be accountable. Just completely, you know, wide open and full transparency on everything that's going on. So we do our best to communicate, and that's why. Yeah, and, th- and those two, you know, I, I, I like I mocked the two items slightly, but when you flush your toilet, you want your shit to go, and when you <laughs> put your garbage in a laneway, you want it to be picked up. You know, this, these are things that residents expect. They, it's just simple things. It's little things. But the, the work that goes into them, um, all the stuff that's involved with ensuring that all those things happen smoothly, uh, that's what the city does and that's what the city's about. Okay, so let's launch into today's podcast episode. And it's all about, as mentioned, the 20, not 21, the 2022 draft budget and uh, where shall we begin on this? The, the one thing that I would say as the layman, like you were talking about earlier, my first question would be how much more tax am I going to pay in the new budget? Yeah. And I'll, I can, I can answer that right now. I mean, if, if you're living in, in the urban area, uh, you're going to pay if approved about $120 more. And that's based on the average assessment. So an average assessment in the city of Ottawa right now is $415,000. So that's your MPAC assessed value of your home. Uh, if you live in the rural area, the total change would be about $91. So it's it's different because of the, the transit impact. So urban residents pay far more than rural residents do for transit because they get far more transit service than we get. So we pay for what we get. So the average, the average urban resident will pay $35 more a year for transit, the average rural resident will pay $11. So it's when we talk about a 3% budget uh, increase, a 3% tax increase on property taxes, in the rural area, that's actually 2.8%. So that's that's the difference. It's broken up with you know, citywide impacts. Uh, it's $65 for the urban resident, $61 for the rural resident. Police is $19. And then there's that transit part of $35 or $11. And that's what makes up the 119 on the urban side and the 91 on the rural side. And of course, we've we've committed to that 3% tax increase. That was a that was a term of council objective is to to cap the tax increase at 3%. It's actually 2% plus a 1% uh, infrastructure levy which was put in this term of council to make sure that we're putting money back into infrastructure renewal, whether that's transit renewal, whether that's uh, road renewal, but to ensure that that money's going there. Now the the budget itself actually grows by a bit more because as new homes, as new homes come in to the city, as we as we grow, we get this thing called assessment growth. So our budget actually grows by about four point seven percent because we have that one point seven percent assessment growth of the new homes coming in and contributing to our tax base. But overall, that that impact is three percent on the property taxes, only on property taxes, and it builds on years of of trying to ensure that 
we're pro- providing some sort of certainty or continuity to how residents can expect their their annual property tax bill. And I think going back to to 2011, we've seen between two and three percent tax increases uh, since. I think the lowest we got was 1.9 percent one year. I think it was 2014 budget was was 1.9 percent. Right. But all the rest have been between two and three percent to try to provide that that continuity. You know, prior to 2010. We saw one year was 0.3%, but two years later was 4.9%. Well, if you just made two years in a row of 2.6%, the 4.9 wouldn't have been as wouldn't have been as controversial. Right. But you were striving so hard to get close to zero, uh, you just offset it two years later. So the the notion of having a zero percent tax increase is a bit of a, a misnomer because you're going to pick it up somewhere else unless you make significant cuts. If you go back from today all the way back to 2001. The average annual increase in taxation from a property tax increase perspective is around 2.5%. So you had two in a row, 2001, 2002, sorry, it'd be 2002, 2003. Those budgets were were 0% tax increase. It was this notion that, well, we're fresh from amalgamation. Let's, let's freeze taxes for two years. But it all just catches up later on with higher increases later on. So you're, you're getting a small political win maybe. But ultimately, we're all going to pay at some point. So that's why when you look at the average, even though there was zeros and there was fives in the end, the average is really what we've been doing the last 10 years. We're just you know, committing to it and saying what it is as opposed to playing any sort of political games with uh, with tax increases at election time. But we a lot of our, a lot of our uh, success comes from the individuals that we have working uh, in the treasurer's department. Uh, so we have... Marion Simlick was longtime treasurer for the city of Ottawa, retired recently. Wendy Stephenson uh, took her place, but became sort of a, a her her official role as chief financial officer. And then we also has, have Isabel Jasmine, who came in as as deputy city treasurer. So these are these are people that have really sort of kept us in line, working through our long range financial plan, our strategic asset management plan, our reserve management plan, and creating efficient programs that are able to absorb the annual growth. We know we see cost increases year over year, but trying to absorb that and not have you know, a huge impact on, on taxpayers. And I mentioned the reserve management plan. When I was first elected in 2010, we had around $100 million in reserves only. And we've actually grown that to what will be at the end of this year, but $530 million in reserves. Uh, and it's important to have that because when you have situations where let's say the COVID impacts continue on, you might have to dip into those reserves in order to keep going so that you don't have to keep on going to tip back to taxpayers and asking them for more because we create those reserves. And it's important to, to keep that. And it's something we didn't do. We were short on those earlier on. I think they were often rated to pay for for projects, but we've now been a bit more conscientious about, about protecting those, reser- those reserves. And a lot of that credit goes to our our financial services staff. I was just going to ask, was it challenging to get in there at 3% given all the impacts of COVID? I think about, for example, how different everything was for people's commute to work and and probably revenues from transit were way, way down in the calendar year 2021. So just that, use that, using that as an example, how much of a, an impact did COVID have on, on getting to well, keep it at 3% even? Well, it has, it, it's a huge impact. And, and if it wasn't for, you know, our partners in the federal and provincial governments providing us funding to offset those pressures, uh, we would be either cutting service drastically or 
uh, coming back to the residents of Ottawa with a higher than 3% tax increase. So if you look at next year alone, we do have some, we are seeing some COVID pressures. We're anticipating that we'll keep on seeing some transfer payments from the upper levels of government to deal with, to deal with uh, some of these COVID pressures. Um, for instance, we're, we're, we're going to, we're going to need around $60 million for, for transit uh, to offset what we know is, is lower ridership. We're hopeful that ridership will go up. We've based our budget that ridership will go back to 80% of its traditional levels. Uh, it is optimistic. There's no question it's optimistic. And if we don't get there at some point in 2022, we are going to have to look at how to manage that budget to bring it back to where it is. If we said right now we're not going to hit 40, we're not going to even hit 40%, we'd have to cut it now. If you build your budget knowing you're not going to get there, then you'd have to cut service now. If we build it more optimistically, then we can provide the service that will allow people to get back on it. But if they don't, we will have tough decisions to make uh, regarding that. And it could be, you know, reducing service in certain areas to, to pay for that or, or deferring projects. And that's, that's something they've done before is deferring some capital projects. You look at the police, for instance, in order to find savings, they've deferred the new Ottawa South uh, police station, which is to be built at the very end of Woodruff Road on Prince of Wales. So there's a plot of land there, but they've been pushing that off in order for them to maintain some sort of a consistent level of their budget and manage the growth uh, impacts and also the the pressures that they're seeing as well. So there's a lot on the, on the COVID side that we expect maybe even beyond 2022. And we will be relying on assistance from other levels, but also those reserves should they, should they be needed? Yeah. Cause I was thinking about the transit angle when you say 80%, it's like that, that is a tough one to come up with. Cause even if COVID disappears tomorrow, like it just eradicated from the planet and people's, professional dynamics may have been changed forever. Like the work from home thing may in a lot of cases be the new norm. No, it's, and that's, that's kind of the, the challenge that we face. It's the unknown. And we, we want, we want workers to be back downtown. It's not just about using the bus service, about all the businesses that are down there, all the, the small businesses, the restaurants, the, the retail shops that rely on, on a steady flow of traffic in and out. You go to the downtown core, there's, there's no housing there. It's just it's just people working there, and there's a bunch of businesses that are there that are reliant on those buildings being filled with with employees. And the federal government is obviously our biggest employer in the city of Ottawa. Uh, city of Ottawa staff as well, not being at City Hall, and that's something we're we're looking at developing a plan to bring people back into the office. Uh, but we have to be cog- cognizant of of the of the COVID situation still too. It's still there and we have to manage that as well. We can't just throw caution to the wind and say, well, we need to get back. So a lot of balancing there. We know the federal government's doing the same, uh, but we're hopeful that if, if as they go back to work and we go back to work, others will, and that'll, that'll um, bring life back into the downtown core and, and other parts of the city where they're very reliant on, on that sort of, I guess, population density from that nine to five time, time of day. So building a bit more, you mentioned, you asked a question about the property tax bill, but there's also the water bill. And that's another budget that we have. It's the rate, our rate budget, which is the water, wastewater and stormwater uh, services budget. And that's one that overall, the budget change is about 4.2% on your water bill. So it goes up 4.2%, but it's actually broken up because 
there are, while the majority of auto residents pay all three water, wastewater, and stormwater, when you bundle that all together, it's 4.2%. When you pull out stormwater, it's actually 8.1% uh, because the budget is much smaller, but the growth needed and the, 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 the funds needed to keep pace with infrastructure that we have out there is greater. Now, the actual impact on a resident is about $6 uh, over the year for that for that stormwater fee. And rural residents pay half of what urban residents pay uh, on the stormwater fee. Just, And we've talked about that before in one of our podcasts about the stormwater fee and how it's been built and why it's built that way. We have a lower level of infrastructure when it comes to, to uh, stormwater. It's mainly you know, ditches, culverts. There are some stormwater ponds, but catch basins in in urban community or in, in village settings like North Gore and and cars and Vernon, they all have stormwater services that run through and storm sewers and catch basins that all need to be maintained. And that's the budget that fits that. And it's, it's, I'm not going to say it's entirely a user pay. I mean, it is to a degree, uh, but you know, in the grand, in the grand scheme of things, the stormwater fee in the rural, in the in rural Ottawa, amongst those properties that only pay for stormwater, will probably collect about $3 million from those properties. Um, we annually spend about 12 or $13 million on just on culvert replacements in the rural area. So we are getting value for that fee in terms of what comes back. Now, storm stormwater infrastructure is not something that, again, go back to that conversation at the start. This is not sexy infrastructure. This is just the conveying of water in roadside ditches and under roads through culverts. But it all costs money and it all needs to be maintained. And we do, we're, we do dozens of culvert replacements uh, in the ward, just just in our ward alone every year. Uh, and you see the various road closures here and there. We've Phelan Road is being closed for a couple of days in the next in the next week or so uh, to do a culvert replacement. We just did one on at uh, Century Second Line Road where it hits Prince of Wales, a one-day closure to get a culvert replacement in there. So those things happen all the time. They're absolutely essential. But yeah, they, they certainly aren't sexy, but they do cost money. Right. So I wonder, do you get like a bit of confusion or misunderstandings? You know, our primarily rural ward here, there are tons of people who are on well water. And when you, when they see the word water, whether it's in a water bill or stormwater bill scenario, a charge, um, did you initially get some pushback on stormwater fees? Well, we absolutely did because it was, it was in the context of where it was placed in the first place for 16 years, the stormwater budget was in with the rate budget for water and wastewater. So right. the only people that contributed toward culverts in the rural area were people who got a water and sewer bill. Well, the house I lived in in North Gore, there was catch basins right in front of my home. In fact, every winter I'd go and maintain six catch basins around my house. All my water flowed into that catch basin. I never paid for that because right. I don't get a water and sewer bill because I'm on well and septic. But the point is, whether I flush my toilet into a sewer system or whether I flush my toilet into a septic system, the rain doesn't care about that. The rain's still hitting <laughs> my property. The rain still has to get get washed away and taken away and conveyed somewhere. Um, so there is no relationship between, you know, our, our our sewer services and stormwater. But upon amalgamation, they were all wrapped into one. Mm -hmm. And so the only people that were paying, you had Richmond residents all Richmond residents paying for stormwater services on their on their sewer bill, but they were never 
we were never paying for it in in cars or in in North Gore or in Birds Rapids or wherever, you name the village. Uh, we weren't paying for it. Only those who actually got a water and sewer bill were paying for it, and it made no sense. So that's why we we changed that system and created the stormwater fee with the stormwater, the isolated stormwater budget, uh, separate from that waste and that, that water and wastewater budget. So uh, we, we absolutely got pushback. There's no question that it's one of the big issues that we've had in my time in office, but it was a, a fundamental failure to put those things all together in the first place. Imagine, you know, we spent a few million dollars renewing the storm sewers in cars, the village of cars. And what we got out of it was a brand new main street sidewalks, uh, new multi-use pathway. The entire project was paid for out of the the rate budget. It's not a single resident in cars that pays into the rate budget. So that entire project in cars that benefits the entire community, not a single cent of that project was paid for by residents in cars. Hmm. And that right there shows you that this is this this funding system did not work, and that's why we had to fix it. And now it is. So let's uh, let's angle in on the local side of things now. In our last episode, it was a two-parter about the new official plan, and you devoted the whole second episode to the local impacts of the new official plan. We're going to kind of jam everything together here in this one episode, and uh, we'll begin with the local projects that are coming up. We like to cater to, of course, here on the Team 21 podcast, to Ward 21. So what are some of the local projects that will be involved in the 2022 draft budget? Absolutely. So we have this we have this four point one four billion dollar budget, and it's broken down in a number of different ways. You know, a lot of the money uh, goes to social services. They go to their various departments: emergency protective services, uh, parks. They go to that, that water and sewer piece, which is funded by the water and sewer rates. You know, public library, public health, um, and transportation and transit. I mean, those are just some of the some of the things that they all go to, and then. Within all those departments, you have it broken down into you know the various wards as to what they get. Now, there's no, there's no, you know, I don't get one twenty third of the budget because it's one of twenty three wards. The city does right. does priority spending based on on need. So, for instance, on road renewal. So, road renewal has always been a big a big issue. Uh, it's something people are always looking for, and we've continuously focused on trying to put more and more money into the road renewal budget year over year. Uh, so this year. But citywide, there'll be $76 million spent just on road renewal. Uh, that's not infrastructure renewal. This is just road renewal. Uh, of that $76 million, $7 million will be spent in Ward 21. So we're getting about a tenth of the funding. And the there's seven road projects that are being done in this in this ward, just on the resurfacing side of things. Uh, McCordick Road between Brophy and Century. Pollock Road between Malakoff and Fourth Line. Rothburn Road, so that's on the very north end, north of Stittsville, um, just off of Carp Road. It's the east side of Carp Road. It actually dead ends a bit. It's a small section, but it's getting resurfaced. We resurfaced the other part of uh, Rothburn back in, I think, 2013. Fallfield Road. So we had resurfaced a part of Fallfield Road a few years ago, west of Eagleson Road out toward Munster. Um, Fallfield Road is being resurfaced between Moody Drive and Old Richmond Road this summer. Malakoff Road between Cowell and Donnelly Drive. That's the very south end of Malakoff. It is in abysmal shape. If you actually, like, I swear, you can actually just lift chunks out of the road. Oh dear! Uh, so, so that's that one's that one's been in need for a long time. But because of traffic volume, 
it hasn't really met the priority. It's always kind of hovered around the line, but the, finally this year it's it's been elevated and it will be resurfaced. Mansfield Road, it's another road where we resurfaced the worst half of it. I guess it's been about uh, eight years now since we did that. Uh, Mansfield Road resurfaced between uh, Conley and, and Munster Road. Once we resurfaced the har- the part that was horrible, um, it became really good. And then everyone started looking at the other half saying, wow, that, that's really bad. <laughs> Yes, in comparison, right. <laughs> uh, it didn't seem that bad before, but it so it's now on the list between Conley out to Huntley Road, and then finally the last road is Purdy Road, uh, just off of Dwyer Hill Road, heads out west uh, into toward uh, Beckwith Township, and ends at at Ashton Station Road. So those are all the road resurfacing projects sprinkled all around all around the ward. Uh, we're also going to be doing an upgrade of Second Line Road. So every every we have about what is it about 700 kilometers of gravel roads in the city of Ottawa. Every year we try to do a little bit more in terms of upgrading gravel roads to hard surface. It's again, based on priority. There are some gravel roads, which will remain gravel roads forever. Uh, but the ones that have a, have more homes on it that have a higher traffic volume that are, uh, that are connected to uh, paved surfaces. That's a big piece of it too. If you have these isolated gravel roads in the midst of an entire paved network, we're sending a greater, just out to that road, it's it's useless miles for that one road where we could isolate that and have that go more, you know, to a place surrounded by gravel roads. So that's what that's what leads into the priority. So this year, second line road between between a century and down to Roger Stevens is being upgraded to hard surface. That's a two-year process. So the residents on that road this year will see, you know, new gravel come in, a shaping of the road, uh, treatment applied to it to make it sort of a more durable hard surface. Next year, they'll come in after it settles and they'll actually put a top coat of asphalt on that road. And then some some uh, intersection projects. I know we've spoken before, I think, about rand- a roundabout. It's not uh, really a budget item, but there's going to be a new roundabout at Perth Street and Maynell in the Fox Run community in Richmond that's funded by the development, funded by uh, development charges. Uh, signalization, similarly, of Bridgeport and Mantic Main Street. So in the Mahogany community, there's going to be signals there. And that's because phase two and three of the Minto's development, that triggers the need for signalization. That actually covers it. Their their development charges as well cover this. And then we're going to be doing a detailed design of a traffic signal at Barnsdale and Rideau Valley Drive. You remember that we just did a, a roundabout at Barnsdale and Prince of Wales. So this is now the next intersection over uh, at at Rita Valley Drive, coming off of the north end of the island. It's a tricky intersection. There's it's it's poor angles. Uh, it's not something that we can fit a roundabout into. Uh, so we are looking at traffic signals. So the staff are going to be doing a detailed design of that uh, to get that you know closer to being ready for uh, for actually constructioning, sorry, building and constructing that uh, that signal at that intersection. Uh, there's other projects too. I mean, we I mentioned the the super sexy sewer works. So we've got mm-hmm. um, Richmond and Manitick are both seeing uh, continuation of the projects that have been going on recently. Uh, backup water main coming into along the, the spine of the island, Long Island Road and Van Vliet to connect under the river over to the Minto community, which again is paid for by development. Similarly, uh, Richmond's pumping station being upgraded the force main into Canada to accommodate the future growth that's going on in Richmond. Uh, funded again by development. Um, 
So th- those are the, those are some big projects that we have going on in the ward, you know, smaller to lesser degree, some upgrades to the Richmond Arena, things that people will never see, but <laughs> they're important for the operation of the Richmond Arena. Uh, some of the rink equipments, the uh, I think one of the the that was one of the one of the machines in the in the back rooms of the Richmond Arena are being are being repaired and then are replaced, and then resurfacing the parking lot at the Cars RA. That's that's been a that's been a desire of the the cars community for many years and finally getting that uh, going. So that, that project is, is uh, long overdue because that, that parking lot is more potholes than it is actual asphalt. So those are things that are going to be going on uh, local projects. I mean, there's always, you know, other stuff here and there, things that get worked on, whether it's traffic calming stuff that we do or projects that we initiate out of our cash and loop parkland budgets and other developments of parks and whatnot through through new communities. Uh, but those are the items, primary items that are in the budget for this year. Certainly. And I might be throwing you under the bus. I don't know about this, but I'm going to ask about it anyway. Um, we certainly get phone calls and emails every once in a while about high speed internet. Uh, is that a provincial issue at all? Or does the city uh, account for, um, cause obviously at the very least you, you want to, uh, you want, you want to kind of mainstream things. You want to try and help things along, but does that account, is there any account for that in the budget at all? Uh, there's nothing specific in this budget that that speaks to that. There actually is an, some elements in the official plan that do talk about about rural internet and the importance of that. I know our federal and provincial governments have spoken at length about long term plans for getting better connectivity in the rural area uh, for for residents who really need it. And I think COVID has obviously shown even more so that we all need reliable internet. I do believe the city is looking at possibly, um, we used to have a telecommunications company, our own, where we would actually be providing that service. We sold it uh, years and years ago. And I think, you know, through Hydro, I think we're looking at maybe something opportunity there where we could uh, be a provider of some sort, uh, but that's still being sort of discussed in the in the the bowels of City Hall to figure out where, where we could go with that. I mean, certainly we rely a lot on, on, opportunities through our upper levels of government to expand those services. And we know that the federal government was running a program recently. We know the provincial government has committed to, I think, a, a fairly a consistent high speed by 2025 province-wide. But we'll see as those plans develop what that'll mean for us here in Ottawa. Because often we we get left out. Rural Ottawa gets left out because we're attached to Ottawa. And a lot of the programs that get funded for rural communities are – you know, true rural communities where the, the municipality itself might have an annual budget of $7 million. Here I am talking about an annual budget here in the city of Ottawa of over $4 billion. So mm-hmm. often some of that rural connectivity funds don't necessarily find their way to rural communities in Ottawa. And that's something that we need to work through uh, to ensure that we aren't left behind. That question was top of mind because we've had a couple of dropouts in the middle of our our remote podcast here today, but uh, it's all been cleaned up in the meantime. But uh, let's close it out today. What are some of the like bigger citywide type projects involved in the budget? Yeah, so I mean, I think we get back into this uh, this lack of of sexiness and the theme of the day. You know, we've got nine point six million dollars that goes toward the Moody Works yard. This is our maintenance yard at Moody and Fallowfield uh, to rehabilitate that yard. $600,000 for replacing a salt dome at the Huntley Works Yard. A uh, million dollars to expand the compost facility at Barnesdale Road. And then that $20 million I mentioned that goes into Trail Road, uh, our Trail Road landfill, and preparing it for stage four capping and 
the leachate uh, treatments and, and processing in stage five that's to come. Some other citywide budget items that you'll find, some highlights in the budget. You know, There's going to be money there for hiring 14 new paramedics to accommodate the growth in the city. We have a 15% tax discount for small businesses over the next two years in response to, to COVID. Uh, $7.2 million to help implement some of the features in our strategic road safety action plan. One of the projects in that plan has been looking at Century and McCordick. It's an offset intersection. How can we ensure that it's a safe intersection? Sometimes these intersections it's not just good enough to put a four-way stop in because of the angles. So we have to look at more than that and what can we do there. Uh, converting more than 4,000 streetlights to LED, this is something that we've been working on for years. It creates a huge cost savings, environmental, environmental benefit. On Further on the environmental piece, uh, the purchase of 74 uh, battery electric buses, that's something that we're working on with the Infrastructure Bank of Canada uh, to fund that. Uh, that's all part of our our effort to reduce greenhouse gas emissions. There's no question that our diesel buses are a big part of that. Uh, $15 million to rehabilitate ROPEC, which is the Robert O. Picard Environmental Center, which is where all of our our waste goes, all of our sewage waste goes there and gets treated there before it gets pumped back into the Ottawa River where we took it from in the first place. Ironically, we take it from the Ottawa River, treat it, and put it back in after it's gone through the sewer system, and it goes back in cleaner than what we took out. So that's something. Oh, nice. Which is it costs a lot of money to do that, though. <laughs> and then, uh, no, that's not free. <laughs> then, uh, so seventeen million dollars is going to be going toward more affordable housing. That's the highest number. Uh, that's the highest amount of money we've ever spent on that in an annual budget. And twenty-seven million dollars for nonprofit social service providers. So that was just approved at the Community Protective Services Committee as well. Um, and we, you know, this is one. This is one area where I think we fail on because we. We sprinkle money over countless, I'm not going to say countless, but there's a there's a, a lot of social service providers in the city, and we try to give a little bit to all of them. But what we often find is that we don't give any of them enough. Um, I've always felt that we should, we should hone in on exactly what we want to do. It might mean that some providers get nothing, but we could give some a lot more. Mm-hmm. And, and again, it's just focusing in on maybe two or three priority areas in the social service um, industry, sort of where, where our priorities are, where the needs are the greatest, and just invest in those to make sure that we get it right. But what we do, probably because it's a bit more politically palatable, <laughs> is to is to give everyone a little bit. Um, but we often find that it's never enough. So that's where that's where we stand now. I mean, obviously, there's a lot more in the budget than when I just spoke about four billion dollars not all of it is stuff that we can control you know 700 million dollars alone comes from the province to fund the things that we have to fund that's really in that social service piece uh, but then but then there's all the other things on staffing and on that stuff and being a customer service driven uh, entity you're always going to have a lot of your budget go towards staffing you know it's like any retail business if you don't have staff you can't really get much done so you're we often get compared to say oh there's I, I operate this business and I only have 30% of my costs go toward staffing. It's like, yeah, you aren't a frontline service. Like you can't operate a hospital uh, with reduced staff. You have right. to have the people there working. And so certain, certain businesses, certain corporations, and uh, public service ent- entities will always have more than half of their budget going toward just people and staff because that's how you provide service. So the next steps for the budget, 
We go through the standing committees. That's happening right now. It just went through the environment committee uh, earlier this week. It still has to go through planning committee and finance economic development committee and agricultural affairs committee before finally coming to council on December 8th for consideration. All right. Well, good stuff. I mean, we started talking uh, today in the podcast about communication and the importance of it, even though some of it's unsexy. And um, for those who are listening and just hearing about the budget, maybe for the first time, in fact, and maybe wondering, okay, uh, I have a problem with this and I don't have a problem with that. I like this. I don't like that. Um, There are along the way, public consultations, opportunities on Engage Ottawa, for example, online for people to get involved in this process on an annual basis. You held, um, and I think it was Wendy Stephenson that uh, you held it with a public consultation for our award. And that was held online. And it's important, I think, for people to know, Scott, that not only is that public input encouraged, but it's listened to, correct? Well, it is. And I think there's, there's, there's conversation with this because there's a big misconception about what our budget process is. And I remember one of my colleagues wrote a whole op-ed on this recently saying we have to change it because it doesn't allow for community input. That's, it's not entirely true. You know, we, we had just a highlighted at the environment committee last week, we had an item that was discussed at committee back in June and it found its way into the budget. So the budget process isn't just November of every year. We table the budget, we talk to people, and then we approve the budget. If you want to look at it, then yeah, you're going to see that it looks like it's something that doesn't change ever. Mm-hmm. But year over year, we build the budget from you – know, the, the next budget process doesn't start next October. You know, We approve this thing December 8th. December 9th, we're already looking at you know what's next. How do we keep – we're always looking at that. And if you look at some of our – our capital works plans, we look out three, five years ahead to say what's coming. And as counselors, if we have priorities, there are ways that we can work with staff to develop those priorities and fit them into the budget. But if you're sitting around as a counselor and you're relying on, well, the budget's table, now I got to see if I can get my thing in, you're never going to get anything done that way. You know, right. we've done we've done many projects in this ward. You look at the arena expansion in Manitick, you look at different parks in Park projects, uh, Fair Mile, uh, the Remembrance Park, and uh, you look at all these projects, these were all things that required budget money, uh, but we didn't develop them on the floor of council during the budget process. We developed them working with staff and working with the community and building those projects to get to a point where they were in the budget. Uh, But that's kind of a misconception that people have. So, you know, I saw a number of folks come out and talk about some concern about invasive species. You know, we have a project we have a, an annual fund that's dedicated toward a wild parsnip management. Again, that wasn't developed through the budget process. That was developed working with in collaboration with staff. And what it resulted in was budget money allocated to it because we had that conversation, built that in. Uh, if you're a counselor, if you want to be a counselor, um, just some advice, don't sit around and wait for the budget to be tabled. Don't sit around and wait for staff to reach out and ask, you know, what are your thoughts on the upcoming budget? Uh, you should be focused on that, not just in October of, of every year, but in July and in February and in March. Uh, that's where you should be working with staff on trying to develop budget priorities and things that you want in your in your ward and how you can get those things, because that's how they get into the budget. You've been a key part of the budget process since 2010. How do you feel about this particular budget, are you feeling? And because nobody's ever going to be ten out of ten, there'll always be elements where you go, "Hmm, that's not ideal." But 
So how are you feeling about it? Well, I think it's, you know, I think it's important that we, we provide that consistency. I think that's why I've always supported the, the tax cap. I know I have some colleagues that would rather, you know, the rate of inflation right now is hovering in Ottawa around 5%. And they say, well, we should keep taxes to the rate of inflation. I don't know if a lot of people out there can really uh, feel like they can afford a 5% tax increase just because the rate of inflation is at 5%. That rate of inflation is causing them concern as well. Uh, so we mm-hmm. shouldn't just bring our budget up to that. I think it's important to be near the rate of inflation, but as the rate of inflation goes up, we shouldn't just take that as a welcome sign to jump up to it. So I think it's important to keep that that financial management sort of oversight that we've had over the last uh, 12 budgets. This is my 12th budget that I've been involved in, my last budget that I'll be involved in. And I think it's, I, I think we've been consistent with how we've managed the budget. I think it, it focuses on the right priorities. You know, I, we can't be everything to everyone. I think we do our best to set priorities and hit those. Uh, but I also know that there's things I've been working on and things I've focused on that, that won't be in this budget, but they'll be in the next budget or the budget after that. And, you know, a future counselor will be able to take credit for some of the stuff that comes in the future. Uh, but that doesn't matter. It's not a big deal about who takes credit for what project. It's the, the point is that we work toward uh, getting things done and continuously improving our communities, regardless of who the counselor is at the time when that happens. I know I took advantage of of items that uh, my predecessor worked on, made sure to give them credit as we got to it because these are things, some of these big projects are multi-year endeavors that you have to really stay on top of. So uh, yeah, it's important to, to keep that focus and realize that uh, this is far bigger than just, you know, again, like I said, a one month process for budgeting. There's a lot that goes into this. And as a result, you know, I think we've always worked well on trying to implement these things. Uh, so as a, you know, I think I, I support the budget that we have in front of us, and I think it does a, a good job of, of managing those priorities. All right. Now, now that reference to uh, not seeking re-election, we'll tackle that in a future podcast. There's still a good year left of this whole thing, so uh, we'll, we'll discuss that. Plenty of time. Exactly. We'll get to that down the road. That will do it for this week's unsexy show. Important, but unsexy. And as always, we invite your feedback on what we've talked about today or any other ward issue you may be concerned about. Again, we frequently host online drop-in to chat sessions. We did one this past Wednesday, a couple of days ago, as we're recording this. And uh, yeah, I think it's safe to say, Scott, there's room for more of our residents to participate in that, huh? Hmm? Always, and we welcome that. <laughs> Absolutely. Yeah, yeah, no doubt. Don't, uh, don't forget as well that all our contact info, along with past episodes, info and news for our ward can be found at team21.ca. Thanks so much for being with us and we'll talk to you again in our next episode.